We, um, we're all sleeping down here now. Mm. The girls feel safer and it's warmer. It's gotten a lot worse the past few nights. I'm Robert Landrum. My name is Jamie Roberts. And this is the Running Scared Podcast. Where we review the movies and make the jog cast that'll have you running away but coming back for more. Rob, we are coming back for more. 50 episodes down. The 51st episode was our latest jog cast, which has been fantastic. Time to burn. This is season two, man. This is like episode, I guess, if we're doing the uh, the show episodes, it's like episode 51. Season two, here we go. Amazing. I can't believe we made it this far. Uh, I'm excited to, uh, to, to kind of do the next. I don't know how many seasons have 50 episodes, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're kind of arbitrarily calling this season two, aren't we? I don't know. It feels like a, feels like an inflection point, right? There's been a lot of self-reflection, reflection on the pod, reflection on things that we've done well, things that we've done not so well. Um, kind of just feels like we're, we've, we've, you know, hit a corner, I think for the good, but, uh, I'm excited, man. Season two, starting off with, uh, with a great movie. The Conjuring. We're going to do this fantastic movie. But before we get into it, it's been a little while. You know, we did the Anaconda recast. I know you were recently on, not the Anaconda recast, sorry, the Anaconda <laughs> revisit, <laughs> the 50th episode. <laughs> um, you were on a vacation. Mm-hmm. We had uh, the Time to Burn release. Um, how was how was your time away, man? It was great. Yeah, a good time to start a new season right after a little rejuvenation. Uh, yeah, I went into San Francisco, went to California. Went up to my buddy Rob. I was crashing at his place for a while. Did a whole bunch of stuff in California. Did a little research for our next uh, jogcast when I visited Alcatraz. Um, oh. <laughs> you know, a little uh, penitentiary. Uh, nice. The tour, uh, which is a pretty fucked up thing when you think about what uh, how we capture humans. But uh it has a very interesting audio tour, which I think for someone in the podcasting business is kind of neat. They actually, you know, do a little bit of sound design to make it feel very like you're immersed kind of in that world a little bit while looking really? around at the real thing. Yeah. You know what I also tried to do, Jamie? And unfortunately, this didn't click. I was looking online and at the, I think it was like the San Francisco Science and Art or Science and Technology University. They actually had the original Anaconda robot. It, oh my God, really? Yeah, but I think the photo I saw was from 2012. And every research I kept, I kept looking, being like, do they still have it? Do they still have it? I couldn't find any evidence that suggested they still had it. And I really wanted to go look at that damn thing. And I, I don't think they had it. So I didn't end up making that trip because it was just not quite where I was. But I thought about it quite a bit. Um, but yeah, otherwise I had a great trip and got a little R&R in for sure. Uh, definitely rejuvenated checked a giants game which was pretty wild i saw that that stadium is dope man holy cow mccubby cove it's just a really good old school baseball stadium it really feels like part of history a little bit but it's also also like really well developed for like the new fan like it's a whole outfield it's all developed as like a fan section and you get to see the water from the view from the high viewpoint i got a bobblehead nice Uh, (laughs) it was good it was good Perfect, man. I got to say, is uh, is it true what Miles Clee told us? Does everybody call it SF? Yes, that's true. <laughs> he was right. You definitely don't call it San Fran. They like just they like puke into their hands if you say that. Awesome. So, you know what? A little bit of a play on word here, but it sounds like you exercise some of those demons of, you know, family life and uh, just kind of getting away and, and rejuvenating. And I think that's going to lead us to the movie that we are doing today, Rob. To start off season two, we're going to start off with a banger. Put a poll out. We're going to do The Conjuring. So this is the 2013 James Wan film, The Conjuring. This is starring Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. 
uh, among also Lily Taylor and Rob Livingston is in this movie. So this is this is a great movie. Just really quickly, uh, James Wan, man. Like you know, we haven't really really ventured into the whole world of James Wan, but this guy is a fucking money making horror movie making machine. I think this guy's totaled like two billion dollars. He's the he's the guy behind Saw. He's the guy behind Insidious. And The Conjuring, this really um, set forth its, its own Conjuring universe. These are like the Nun, Annabelle, Conjuring, uh, the original, and then there was three sequels that came after it. So just to give you an idea, like this film came in at like $20 million, and this thing made $320 million. Rob, do you remember? We went to go see this in the movie theater together. We took our that? wives. Yeah, didn't we take our wives to this one? We this took our wives in front of, the, friend of the pod, Yik. Friend of the pod, yeah, Mike Kikori came with us as right. well, right? And yeah. this, this would have been pre-kids because we saw in theaters, so 2012. And uh, yeah, it, it, I remember in theaters being very effectively scary. Like we yes. we had like, had lots of, this movie has a lot of jump scares, has a lot of creepiness. Um, uh, and I, even watching it again, I definitely, definitely felt scared. This is kind of diving into a film that is legitimately scary. And I think we're going to, we're going to draft and take a look at some of those top five scares. But I think- you know, we would be remiss if we didn't jump into the one line challenge to start. And I think, I don't know, man, you know, you've been on vacation. It's been a little bit, could be rusty. Who's going first? I'll go first. I am rusty. And uh, I think you're <laughs> going to knock this one out. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the lead so I don't have to follow. Okay. Um, okay. Let's go. Three, two, one. When there's something strange. Oh, you didn't say the conjure. Oh, fuck. <laughs> The Conjuring. <laughs> when there's something strange in your shitty, scary fucking house that you bought for some reason on auction for dirt cheap prices, who do you call? But two weirdos nobody seems to think is weird, but they go around exercising people's houses for fun. <laughs> the Conjuring. That's it. I'm just laying it down right there. That's, that's it. basically, yeah, okay. Um, okay. Count me in here. Three. Two, one. The Conjuring. New beginning. Same nightmare. When a seemingly unsuspecting family move into a northeastern farmhouse, it's only a matter of time before their worst nightmares and fears come to fruition as they are haunted by a diabolical spirit from the past. The Conjuring. That's pretty good. I uh, I was a little confused by your top, your beat poetry off the top. What's the same? I guess same nightmare because the monster has a history in this space, but not well, to these people. The, that's the thing, right? Not yeah. to, not to these people, but that's the thing. Like this monster in this film, we learn as as uh, as the movie goes on that like this has happened repeatedly, and actually some of the spirits, you know, there's like the malevolent spirit. Mm-hmm. And then there's also some of the other spirits that are trapped inside the house. So I guess this is just, you know, happening over and over again. But like nobody seems to know, like there's no, uh, nobody's talking to any of the neighbors about, you know, what's going to happen <laughs> in this film. Like it was the first thing my dad told me, a shout out to Don Roberts. If you're buying a house, like, you know, walk around the neighborhood, man, ask the neighbors, like what's going on there. It's like fucking, there's. You know, that's another thing. Eh? Like we're going to, you said in your thing, like, you know, creepy old people, but like these, these people that move into the house, like, come on, man. Like, 
let's let's do some due diligence here. At least I'm like, let's let's use some simple common sense if we're buying like a house. And they have five daughters. So it's not like it's just the two of them. Like there's a big family of seven that that go into it. But I think just uh, to clarify for people that haven't seen it, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will have seen The Conjuring. It was a very, very popular film. And um, as I said earlier, made a lot of money. Essentially, what you have is um, a family of seven. And it seems to me that they're starting some kind of new beginning in their life. I think the father alludes to that at some point. So they move into this farmhouse in... Rhode Island. It's the Perrin family. That's their name. And one of the things Rob is like, immediately, as soon as they start coming into this home, shit starts to happen. Who is that? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about they're there for a couple of weeks and they, you know what I mean? They're like, not, the bags aren't even packed, right? The kids are playing this clapping game and all of a sudden stuff is kicking up. And then uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later. They, you know, they 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 catch wind as to these are not normal uh, experiences and occurrences, and then they seek the help of the uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are paranormal investigators, demonologists, to come and take a look at the house. And then we find out that there's just a whole lot of fucking bad shit going on in this place. And and then we kind of learn that you know. Really, like, there's the interesting thing is like there's n- there's no way to sidestep it, right? Like, they have to confront it head on. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the story in a nutshell. This is kind of one of the first haunted house films that we've done. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, it's like you know, I mean, when you really get into like supernatural and paranormal, or kind of investigate that. And I think Rob, that's a that's a first place to start. If we're actually going to sort of be fully invested into this film, don't we kind of have to believe? Don't we kind of have to believe that malevolent spirits exist and and somehow there's people that can straddle the line between good and evil in that spiritual world? What do you think about that? Do we have to believe to have this film be effective? Well, that's tough because I mean, as a film, I don't think I don't think to watch a f- movie you need to be a believer and enjoy the scares. But to be someone who actually believes in that shit and then watch this movie might be like magnifying your fear times a million, right? I mean. Yeah, I guess the thing about this is interesting is that they say a couple times is that these uh, demons that come from some sort of satanic connection really don't like all the figures and iconography of Christianity. So there really is this direct tie to that religion, right? Like they, they put up crosses just to piss off the demon. Um, uh, the demon always taps in threes because it's uh, some sort of offense to the Trinity. All night long, just like that. Does it come in threes? Yeah. Stops at dawn? Uh-huh. Well, sometimes it's meant as an insult to the Trinity. So there's all these like really like deep cut, like you got to know your Bible to yeah. understand the way these demons work or this particular demon works. Do you have to believe it to enjoy the film? No, I don't think so because I was fucking scared. <laughs> this movie, I'm one of those people who's like, this movie actually scared me. Like those long, creepy shots really did something to me, and I I have yeah. a hard time sitting there watching them, going like, oh fuck, it's gonna happen any second now. Um, so I think you can still get enjoyment from the film, but yeah, do you have to believe in this stuff? I mean, that's that depends. Like if you're one of the fun things about a movie like this is that they are tapping into 
something kind of real in the sense that the Warrens were real people, were they not? Absolutely, they they were real people. They were paranormal investigators for like 40 years. Yeah, so if you believe that the shit that they've been doing for years is somehow real, or even if you believe it's only partly real, like, oh, I don't believe in like... um, like, unless you think they're just hoax, like total hucksters or what's the word? Like, they're just like a hoax. And yeah, hucksters. Been, yeah. Then, and you believe that, oh, maybe there is something legit to what they've been doing all these years. That, I think that might be enough for you to like, you know, you don't need to be necessarily religious, but it might be enough to give you that sense of like, yeah, this this is spooky enough for me that there are these unexplainable weird things that happen. And these guys are somehow tapped into it. it. The idea that Lorraine herself is a medium, that's a person that can speak to the dead or somehow. Like a clairvoyant. Yeah, she, she she can see things or feel things from the spiritual world. That part, you know, that's that's always going to be a, a point of like disbelief for everyone. For certain people, I mean. But yeah, I don't know why. Did you did you do you feel like you had to be religious to really enjoy this or to like to get that extra sense? Like with exorcism or the exorcist. So again, deeply into the whole Christianity exorcism, the Vatican has to approve it, all that kind of shit. Like, did you feel like religion would have helped you f- feel more fear? Is that what you're after? To, to me, this this movie gets muddied a little bit. And let me just say, I'll preface it by saying, like, if I just look at this as a film and it's like, let's just say this is a piece of fiction, right? Because um, this is all based on a true story. This is based on real people. This is based on real documented events. And I think that's what sort of lends or gives more credibility to these investigators who a lot of people thought that they were just full of shit. Um, but I think if I look at it just as a film, like, you know, it's, it's super scary and just a piece of fiction, a house is haunted. And like you said, James Wan is the master of sort of like the roller coaster scare, right? Like you get up to the top, like, and, and then it just, you don't expect it to come. And then it comes sort of in that, uh, in that place where you don't expect it. And it's just like really effective. The thing is, we did The Exorcist, and to me, you know, even if you even if you don't believe, I feel like that one had sort of an easier passage because it's it represented things in the binary. There was good versus evil, and there wasn't really much in between. There was the man of God, and there was the man of the devil, and they sort of faced off against each other in sort of a traditional battle. This film introduces a third party, which sort of mediates or, again, the medium between like that good and evil and they actually have a couple of scenes where um uh ed is talking to the catholic church right like he needs to get approval to perform the exorcism i think that kind of the idea of like the paranormal investigator you're like ah fuck this like does this make a lot of sense a lot of people and there's there's like you know there's quotes uh from from many people that looked into ed and lorraine and just thought that they were they were just a bunch of commercialists, right? That were exploiting people and exploiting their situations for whatever reason, for their own profit and their own gain. And like, I kind of think just to kind of, when you're asking me to believe, like if what is true and they kept a room filled with all these um, belongings and artifacts from all the, all the different um, cases they investigated. And that's like an extreme form of narcissism, man. Like, I'm not sure that that is, you know, if you're really, Rob, if you, if you really believed in like being able to contact the demons and would you fucking bring all that shit into your home? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, it's under like, it's not even like under like a steel door. I was sure going to talk about how they destroy these things. Cause they yeah, never mentioned like, that. No, it's like adjacent to their kitchen. 
It's just the garage, right? It's just the walkout garage. From yeah, there. And yeah. Like you and like you you go in there and you know, the way they show in the film, it's like fucking it's like carpeted. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of like there's a lot of like um culturally like the, the one thing that kind of flared in my head when I saw that, like a little bit of a trigger to me was like, they had like the Japanese, like samurai armor. And then they had like <laughs> some African shit. And you're like, oh, okay. So it's just really just a bunch of trinkets you've collected from other cultures. And you'd be like, Ooh, how spooky they are. <laughs> but I agree with you. There's something about this movie where they just shove all that under the carpet because throughout this movie, we actually see the Warrens a couple times doing like lectures or talking to students or whatever. Yeah. All right, Drew, you can hit the lights. Did you personally perform the exorcism? No, I'm not authorized, but I've assisted on many. And everybody buys in on it. Nobody's yeah, exactly. like, nobody's like, hey, uh, this is bullshit, right? Like, no one in this movie, these people, this is like Ghostbusters 2, not Ghostbusters 1, where people are like, there's no such thing as ghosts. This is Ghostbusters 2, where all of New York City has now lived through the State Puff Marshmallow Man, and they've decided, yep, ghosts are a real thing. We got cops, we got fire department, and we need Ghostbusters. Yeah. And like, everyone has just accepted this as it's like, this is how it is now. You're talking about Ghostbusters too. The fucking mayor can says deputy mayor for locking up the Ghostbusters, and the mayor <laughs> immediately says, "Get, get me the Ghostbusters. We need, the, we need the nuts." Okay, Ghostbusters. The mayor wants to see you guys. The whole island's going crazy. Let's go. Yeah, you're right. Like they they're positioned in the film as a legitimate couple that has like legitimate powers, but nowhere in history has that been proven only thing it's like a market mm-hmm. economy man you mm-hmm. know what i mean it, there's a supply and demand you know they, they <laughs> like there's a limited supply of these parallel investigators i guess that are that are that are good at what they do or at least convincing and then there's just a lot of demand of people who the funny thing is in this film though is that is that um the father at one point mentions that they're not religious people yeah and and so it made me think you know i'm i was trying to draw some connections right it made me think, well, why did they, because at no point do they ever call the police. No, they do. Well, they do, sort of. Well, no, Brad is is invited into the, um, into the investigation on behalf of the Warrens, but all these things are happening in the home that are unexplained. And even though they're not religious, they don't call the police. They don't call anybody. Their first move to seek outside help is to go to Ed and Lorraine, Warren, which I thought was kind of interesting because that would imply to me that they actually believed in this kind of stuff. And if you mm. and if you did believe in this kind of stuff, and I'm talking about from the position of the, the mother, Carolyn, because she's the one that goes out to seek help. Wouldn't you wouldn't you like maybe act a little bit sooner? Hold on, hold on. But they haven't seen out of the hand, the hands coming out of the, the wardrobe. That's not until after. And they don't see that because she's got the blindfold on. Nobody actually saw that. We see that. We see that. <laughs> the, and it's the the incident you're talking about when they when all the pictures fall off the wall. That is the inciting incident because that's the same scene where she goes down to the basement and then that's falls right. down the stairs. Yeah. And so like that's the scene that she didn't decides to do something. I know what you mean yeah. though because I thought to myself – you know, they've they've kind of made sure they noted to the audience that they're not religious. They they actually say it out loud. They do. I always thought the mom might be slightly religious. And I thought, oh, they could have just added her like maybe looking at a cross in a drawer or something because um, she's not like an outwardly religious person. But she's like, yeah, well, I was raised kind of religious. But and they talk about that, too. Like maybe the priest is like, well, they're not 
you know, I don't know if we can help them because they're not baptized. It's like, fuck you, man. <laughs> what the fuck does that have to do with this anything? The Catholic Church's big problem anyways, right? You know what I mean? They had a far too high list of things that needed yeah. to be met before they actually helped them. That's and why membership's at an all-time low. <laughs> oh, you see now, man, the local church, like, they, they don't have anybody, man. They have, you know, there's barbecues every second week. They're like, you know, <laughs> they'll do anything. Like, like They'll oh, exercise oh. your dog for you. Yeah. <laughs> No, but, you know, in all seriousness, the, the, there is like this, um, uh, the, the, I did think, oh, maybe they should like drop a little bit in, but I didn't mind that because it, it raised the question that like these people don't have any reason to believe in in ghosts and all that. And I think what you're saying, oh, maybe they could have gone to the cops. I think when you're editing a movie, you have to decide if you're going to do that scene or not, because mm, yeah. then you get the cop who shows up. He's like, well, I don't believe you guys. And, and now it's kind of falling into the traps of like 80s horror movies. Where the cop is this dumbass and he doesn't believe because we're going to get officer. We still kind of get that here. <laughs> yeah, we get him later, right? I mean, officer like Hunk or whatever his name is. Officer Brad. 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 <laughs> and Brad like is quickly turned to believe because he sees some shit real quick. And yeah. I actually like that. It's like it really made it more interesting that like, I don't know, I guess so many of these horror movies, we've had that cliche of like the people who know are always at odds with the authorities and the authorities are always proven to be stupid. And I'm glad we don't need that in this film. I think yeah. you could have totally added it. You could have had it in there. It would have made sense for the story. But it would have added another 10 minutes to the story that we probably didn't need. I mean, this is more than an hour and a half, this movie, right? Have you ever experienced anything that made you think that okay, was a well, supernatural occurrence? or? You know what? I knew this question was going to come, Rob. <laughs> Outside of my That's you forays <laughs> into the Ouija board, which we've already... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the Ouija board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say that honestly, nothing for me. Like, I'm a pretty reality based person, and there's, you know, there's not a lot that scares me. So I don't allow my mind to wander to get like, cause I think sometimes you can get hyper acute, right? And then every last little thing you hear, you feel, and you think somebody's behind it. The only thing that I would say is that my wife has experienced, um, she's found dimes around her parents' home and her grandmother. What's a dime? A dime. Dimes. Like money. Yeah, dimes. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're dropping dimes. Her grandmother used to put dimes in cards and would give them to the kids. Like a lot of those like money cards or if you had, you know, or you'd get like cakes. When you think about it now, it's the grossest thing ever, but you get cakes with fucking money baked into it. Oh yeah, they used to wrap in wax paper. Yeah. yeah. I don't even think they did that in my cakes, man. They just- Dollars. Money, money was right there. Anyways, um, so her grandmother used to give cards with dimes in them and she passed away some time ago and they would find like just dimes around the house. Now that that's a stretch, okay? And you can, you know, when you're dealing with loss and you're dealing with, that's not the themes in this film, but you your, your mind can conjure, no pun intended, really anything. So I'm not sure that's really what it is, but I think at times they have felt that it's real and there's some kind of connection. And- that's not a malevolent spirit. Like in a lot of in a lot of cultures, the connection to spirits in the past can be good, especially in a lot of like indigenous cultures. There's the connections with the spirit world is generally positive. That's not the case in this film. So no. for me, no. My wife, I would say a little bit, but um, it, I, I should note that they have stated in interviews that this is one of the that in their investigations, which spanned over forty years, and they were also 
involved with everybody would know the Amityville horror. You know, that's one of the films that I want to do in season two here because mm-hmm. I love that movie. That's what the Lutz family. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. What do you see? You scared her. She went out the window. She went out the window? Well, I, I better check and make sure she's not still there, huh? So they did that was one of their investigations but this is the one that they said that was that was the most jarring stirring that affected them the most that left them but it left them left them affected mm-hmm. and uh and even just some of the facial expressions that she that Vera does in the film like it's you know I mean you can kind of that she's she acts this quite well Oh yeah she does a lot of acting with her face it's a really a lot good of point acting with her face is probably one of the strengths of the entire film and what makes it scary is that yeah but we'll get to that later so I think we'll land it like you don't need to believe to enjoy this film but if you do believe they are that's an effective performance they're an effective couple it's an effective story uh of two people that were doing it for a long period of time even though they had their detractors there's many people that well they keep on getting work and they were paid handsomely for it so you know mm-hmm. we'll uh we'll we'll leave it there but Rob, well, um, before we go on, though, I just tell you, like you said, a good point. Other cultures uh, do have these sort of positive relationships with hmm. spirits. And it's funny you brought that up in terms of yourself when you're talking anecdotally, because, yeah, I think my experience with uh, I don't necessarily believe it to be supernatural. But in my family, there have been deaths. And I remember or there's been friends who died. And my brother, I remember telling me this story very vividly once that he had a a dream about his friend who had died coming to him and saying, you know, it's okay. I know we didn't get to talk enough at the end. Like, I think he felt guilt for not like maybe seeing her more before she died. Mm. But he had a dream about her uh, not long afterwards. And it was very much like he had this moment of like, I don't know, not forgiveness, but like a, a moment of like he got to say goodbye to her sort of in his own mind, whether I mean, assuming that a dream is not actually a spiritual visit. But yeah, um, yeah like so, yes, I think it's you can look at ghosts as totally different things if you want them to be. And I think that's the other cool thing this movie does is introduces the idea that um, the ghost isn't necessarily the evil thing in this film. There is one malicious spirit i guess it's a ghost but there's a couple that are uh haunted and tormented themselves but i i don't think they are necessarily the perpetrators in any of the violence there's the little no, kid no. and he he just shows the other little girl where to hide i don't think he's trying to trap her but maybe he is maybe he's trying to get her to go to a spot that only the evil ghost can get to i don't know and yeah. then there's the mother who we meet later and she's like that. She's got the makeup running all over her face. She's pretty yeah. spooky looking. I thought she was a clown. Like she looked yeah. a little bit like a clown. But the way they dressed her too. She's wearing that yeah. big yellow outfit. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if she's actually malicious. She did something in her past that was horrible. Well, but she, she says was, like, oh, she made me do it. She made me do it. I don't know if she was going to do anything though. So No, she was possessed by Bathsheba. Yeah. That's why she was possessed to do it. Because, you know, we find out in the backstory afterwards that, that you know, Again, it's a very good verse. Evil Bathsheba was supposedly uh, connected to a relative of one of the um, women that were tried in the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. And she was a witch and sacrificed her weak old baby um, to the to, to, to the devil. To the devil, yeah. So like, and uh, and was hung for it. 
So I don't no, know. No, no, hung herself. Hung herself for it. Sorry. Hung herself and then proclaimed it made her like curse on the land and then hung herself. Yeah, made her curse. Yeah, exactly. And then hung herself. So that's the thing because um Lorraine comes in and talks about saying, Oh, there's lots of spirits coming here, but one is exceptionally malicious. Just one little thing before we go on, and I think you know, because we always talk about like the Catholic Church and heaven and hell and good and evil and hate and love. Again, those are just two polar opposites, right? So you kind of have to, You, I think you are going to get those malevolent spirits because you're going to be on one side of the fence. In like an indigenous culture, not, you know, we're not going to go through this too much, but their whole outlook on life is not so... um you know, black and white, right? Binary. It's much more, it's yeah, more binary. It's way, way more like holistic in nature. And that's like working with those around. And that's the Catholic church has always like, you know, not been like that. It's like you believe or you don't believe. And if yeah. you don't believe, then you're a sinner, right? So it, it's not like that in, alter, in other cultures. And I think that can kind of carry on to the kind of spirits that are entertained in those cultures. But in this one, you do have that malevolent spirit Bathsheba who looks like fucking my God, man. Like I'm not even sure how scary she looks. She just looks like an old woman. That's like, like there's, I think maybe that's what even adds more scare to it. Is that it's not like in some of the other conjuring films where they look more like monsters. She just looks like a fucking old crazy witch. And there's like some very like tight shots that you see of her face. It's like very unsettling. So I think this is probably, unless you have anything else to add on to this, this might be a good segue to kind of take a look at the characters in this film more because there's definitely some things that I'd like to <laughs> address with some of these characters. Let's do it. So Rob, the first character I want to take a look at is Ed Warren. So this is played by Patrick Wilson. So he's a favorite of James Wan. He's been uh, in the Insidious movies, like plays the... yeah plays like the main dude there but he comes in as as ed warren and or i always thought the whole time that maybe like one of these investigators would be you know super eccentric or would maybe even just be so like kind of like bookworm boring but he somehow manages to kind of get to this place in the middle where he sort of has urgency on his face but he's like very calm the entire time he's also kind of like a good old boy in a weird way like he's just like a yeah let me help you with your truck there yeah uh, i thought that was you hey i hope you don't mind got a good deal on a rebuild that wrecking yard in smithfield now you look like you know what you're doing we'll see and and, and he he even speaks because i actually watched it with subtitles on i don't know why i did that but sometimes i do that um and his speech is sometimes written in a way that's more like the way average person talks or sometimes you screw up the verb tense or whatever, just cause you're speaking quickly or yeah. like he doesn't speak like a, like a, f- a professor. Like he definitely stumbles his words and kind of like says them incorrectly sometimes. So who does he remind you of? I don't know. Are you leading me somewhere? Where, where, who I'm, does- I'm leading you somewhere. He did, like when you think about, look at how, when he goes to meet the, the priest, when he's presenting the evidence and the guy's like, well, we're going to need evidence. And he's like, all right, I'm going to get on this right away. He's like looking at the videos. I feel like maybe he was mirrored after Father Karras. Father Karras is, and you see that as his characters developed in The Exorcist, right? Where <laughs> when he's not running around the track, he's generally like, he's in the bar having a, having a drink. He's a pretty normal dude. He 
I, I don't know. To me, I, I was like, wow, like they're per- like the personalities and the temperament of the character is almost identical. The only difference is, is that Father Karras is an actual priest, and this guy is he's a he's a professor. He's a self-proclaimed demonologist who cannot perform exorcisms, but I think they mentioned in special occasions he could. And it isn't until the very end that Ed Warren is like, holy fuck, when he's being that when they're downstairs in the basement in the final scene and he's being thrown all over the place, like he had and he's trying to perform the exorcism himself when he starts to be a little bit rattled. Like I think the moment is getting to him. Hmm. <laughs> that reminds me of Karis when he's like very cool and then just right at the end, he's like Oh shit, this is like, this is happening for real. So I think, I don't know, I, I didn't, I'd love to kind of dig into Patrick Wilson of his character and, and not like him and think that there was stupid things that he did. And outside of just keeping all the baubles and all the artifacts in his <laughs> the, home, the bobblehead of the bobblehead uh, trinkets of, uh, of demonology. <laughs> well, I just like, you know, the only thing is he's like a hot takes master, right? Like he walks in, he walks into the room, okay? into the house he's been in the house for 15 seconds and this is where like this 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 is where it's an efficient script (laughs) yeah like this is where he's been in the house for five minutes right and and he goes so what's been happening and they say well there's been some sounds and then it can smell like rotting meat and he goes there's this awful smell like rotting meat that moves around the house what what is it well, rancid smells could indicate some type of demonic activity. Automatically. Uh, well, that can, you know what? Rotting meat has been known to uh, mean uh, the presence of demonic activity. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought he was a little quick to that too. Like, why don't you wait till you have like three, four, five things to add up yeah, before like you get to... Yeah, like he's not taken out a camera. He's no. not laid any cables. He's not done anything. And all of a sudden he's like, like he's like, all right, man, you got a demon in here because it smells like rotting meat. Well, fuck, See, maybe the way, fridge is broken. In that way, I think it's the Dan Aykroyd of Ghostbusters character. Like the guy who, oh, you know what? Like he automatically goes into that speech and I was like, oh yeah. Like, is Dan Aykroyd actually is um, really into uh, ghosts and like supernatural stuff. Before he wrote Ghostbusters, apparently it was like a totally different movie that was way more serious and weird. Pete, it's great that you're here. We've got incredible news. Wait a minute. Can I have one try? All you can eat barbecue rib night at the Sizzler. No, we analyzed the photos you took of Vigo. The spectrogram shows a river of slime flowing behind him. Just like the one I saw underground. Now we're going into the subway and sewer system to see if we can trace the source of the flow. Before they turned it into like a comedy with like a fire department style group yeah. of guys, right? Anyway, I thought that was that was totally who I thought he was he was doing there. Just because like, yeah, he just immediately slips into it, checks the door. Well, you got these ropes on the door. Oh, how many times <laughs> did they tap? Three times. Well, that's because the uh, hates the Trinity and all. And, like, he's just so quick to it. <laughs> Insult the Trinity. <laughs> and I know like I loved it. Script wise, I'm listening like, oh, yeah, I'm totally intrigued. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, it's one of those things as a writer or you're making the movie. Maybe they're thinking themselves, well, the, the viewer already knows that shit is up. So we don't yeah. need to spend a lot of time convincing these other characters that it's happening. We need to like get to it pretty quick. So I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah. I, ju- I think um, it's also of note for those that haven't, haven't seen it, you know, it's filled with spoilers, but we don't even have the Warrens. Well, we have them at the beginning and the opening scene we, we can talk about afterwards that sort of introduces the story of Annabelle, another case that they are investigating, which is kind of funny. I didn't actually find that scary at all. That, that beginning, I thought that was kind of silly, but um, she gets her scares with me later on in, in the scene where she's 
uh, trying to uh, trying to scare Judy. No, but that, I thought I thought that was interesting as a filmmaking choice to like do that Easter egg because like I don't think they would have known that they're going to do Annabelle movies at that point, but they definitely well, put it in there so they could do it. it. It's it's kind of comic book writing and that like and to think that James Wan comes from that as well. Like he, maybe they were thinking about about all this like spin off shit right from the get go. See, that's the thing, right? What is your Miles Glee cynicism will tell you that everything was placed there right. perfectly to set it up, right? <laughs> and this is like, no, seriously, like, because he's already got Insidious and he's already got Saw behind him, okay? So he's, he's already completely well-versed in the idea of, like, sequels and what you can do. And what better way to open up, you know, a parallel franchise with, like, a doll? It's already in history they've shown that, like, mm. you know, Child's Play and Chucky was so famous so popular you do with Annabelle like there was like three movies with Annabelle I don't yeah. like I, I don't find you know there's like certain things clowns I find actually pretty scary <laughs> dolls I <laughs> you're just like why did they just kick the doll just kick it yeah they put it in the dumpster and the thing comes back it's like <laughs> and it was very like you don't see the doll move at all you notice that you don't uh, see the doll move like you don't you don't see the doll writing or anything no doll's just got, his like, head turns at one point just yeah the head turns but anyways what i was going to say is that you don't see the appearance of the warrens with the exception of the first scene till like 35 minutes into the film 40 minutes so like that's what's effective about this movie is you get to spend some time with the family yeah there's no other people there's no other cast there's no other, there's no, there's nobody fucking, when I moved in here, like Jim down the road brought me some muffins on the third day. You know what I mean? Nobody's coming by mm-hmm. to check, to see how they're doing. Right. They should, they should have had a painter come by or somebody, Rob, you see the state of this house? Like this, is, like, this place is fucking falling apart. Like when I say falling apart, I mean, I mean like there's one scene where the well, girls by, are coming. By the end of the sh- movie, you can kick right through the floorboards. Like anywhere you go, you can just oh tear the walls down with your hands. Man, like, yeah. Like you can, yeah, you can see like looks like this thing i don't know anyways but um <laughs> it's made of cardboard <laughs> i think um i think patrick uh patrick wilson does a really good job and he stays true to his character all the way up until the end and then he's got that fear on his face but um i think for me the real star of this movie is um vera farmiga as lorraine warren mm-hmm. i think she's awesome man her facial expressions are so good and she really becomes in the second half of the film, like central to everything that's happening. And she's, she's right there in a couple of really, really scary moments. What'd you think of her? I think she's awesome in this. I think she's yeah. really good. Like she really plays this sensitive character who has a very intense gaze and actually is, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like she's formidable. Like, like she's challenging to go up against <laughs> if you're a demon. Like, she's she knows what she's doing. Um, and, yes, yeah, like we said earlier, she does so much acting with just little looks on her face and just little moments. And you can see why she's been cast in so much horror stuff. Like, she was in the Bates Hotel show and yeah. all this other stuff. But, like, yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, just um, trying to think of a specific scene that really sold it for me. But <clears throat> I, got, uh, I got one. Okay. Um. So when they're outside and they're doing one of the investigations, not not the investigation, I think it's like their first time in the home and she goes and walks out. <laughs> By the way, like, I don't know where they film this. I, we could easily find it, but like, I'm not here just to kind of, or we're not here just to repeat shit you can find on Wikipedia. Like, you want to find out where they filmed it, you go on Wikipedia. But that set, 
of the dock and the lake oh, and yeah. the tree. Like it's amazing. Anyway, so she turns around and this is where James Wan is like so good. Like the camera will like look at one of the characters and then look back and there'll be nothing there and then go back to the character and then look back and then something is something is there that's really scary. The, the look on her face when the camera um, pitches ag- like against her or sorry, towards her where she's able to see Bathsheba hanging from mm-hmm. the tree limb. Mm-hmm. And she's not only is, is her face kind of contorted a little bit. She actually, she actually like moves back yeah. a little bit. <clears throat> like she kind of like, just she, like where the, it really shows you the weight of the situations. Like I thought that was <laughs> really effective. Hey, what is it? So that was for me, that was just one scene that was that was like really good with her facial expressions and her like her clothing is really good. Her hair is really good. I don't know. She's complex character and she does it all right. I think she's super good. Really good in this. Yeah, you're right. Good, good styling to to go with the times. Right. What do you think of Roger? I mean, this this (laughs) Roger is like, (laughs) no, no, hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Like Ron Livingston is a good actor to me, especially I think he's really good in this because he's a real like. I don't know. He's just like a regular guy. He's just like got this massive family trying for a boy so many times, probably. And just keeps getting, <laughs> you know, it's one of those families. that looks like they just kept trying for a boy. And you got five, <laughs> five girls. And it's just like him and his, these six women that he's got to live with. I mean, it sounds like torture to me, but, <laughs> but you know, he's just like a good old dad. He's just trying to do his best. He's got like a decent paying job. And he's trying to, trying to make it go and you know yeah. these this this whole move is about facilitating this family and, and and you know getting a bigger space for them all so everybody gets more yeah more he's be- a simple guy right simple he's, guy simple needs yeah these guys never have a plan man they're all reactionary no no preemptive strikes here like he just but but in the very first scene when he starts noticing weird shit i love that about this guy he's like he just like starts walking around the house like what was that noise boom just walks right towards it opens the yeah. door he doesn't flinch because he's like he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe, right? But that's isn't that how you and I are? Like, I mean, when you first hear a weird sound in the house, you don't immediately think you're getting killed. You just think, "What was that?" And you just walk towards it. You just yeah. saw, you just close it out of your mind as quickly as possible. Instead, this is what people who get really scared by horror movies do, like you and me. But like, but like people who don't actually just get up and go investigate, they sit there and they imagine what it could be yeah, for they're so frozen lo- in fear, right? Yeah. And you imagine that it's some horrible shit and you know, you sneak out the baseball bat from under your bed and you start walking around the house like a maniac. Have I told this story on the pod before? I don't know what, which one? Do you remember when we rented that, that cottage and I was sleeping in the tent outside? Oh. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to have to do short strokes. We're at this cottage. It's near my hometown, actually. And these guys had shown up on the dock that night. Middle of the night. We're out there boozing. Oh, these my guys God. pull up. These good old boys, right? These lads. G'day, fuck. In a boat. In a, you know, boat. in a boat. Three fucking hammered guys in a boat show up. <laughs> so we talked to them on the dock for like 30 minutes. And we kind of like, we don't really want to invite them in because we're like shutting down soon. We also have some kids on the property. So we're like, you know, just shutting them down. Like, oh, sorry, boys. We're going to bed soon. Yeah. And they're gracious. They get in their boat and they, they go away. No problem. But I'm sleeping in the tent that night, and in the middle of the night, I hear like a stone hitting my tent, like just that little sound. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? You know, then I kind of go back to sleep and hear it again and again. And I'm like, fucking somebody's fucking with me, man. Somebody's throwing rocks at my tent. 
<laughs> so I unzip the tent. I'm looking out there. It's pitch black. We're on a fucking river. There's nothing to see. And I hear it again. I'm like, fuck. So I get out. And right beside my tent, there was a stake separating the two properties. I yanked the stake out of the ground. I started wandering around this tree <laughs> with this stake ready to fucking smash someone over the head or stab them with it. Stop. I do a full circle around the tree in the tent and my wife pops her head and goes, Rob, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, somebody's out here. She's like, there's nobody out here. Get your ass back in here. She thought I was going to clock her over the head with this thing. So I get back in. We fall asleep. The next morning, I'm still kind of irked about it. I'm looking around. And I realized we're under a fucking tree that has acorns. The acorns have been falling on my lung. And at breakfast, I'm telling the story to everybody in the room. And our friend Sarah, no, Christine, had brought her husband at the time. And I caught him whispering to his wife. He didn't think I could hear him, but he whispered to Christine. He goes, is this guy fucking crazy? <laughs> That's a true story. Anyway, end of story. Point B. It was a great story. The, the best thing about that story is when, um, for those, you know, we talked about Rob growing up in Perth, right? So, you know, Rob's used to being around sort of these like hillbilly dudes. So we're sitting by the fire and <laughs> like, I'm, I'm asking, I think Rob, I think we're talking about like fucking art class or something. Rob's like, yeah, well, the contemporary art pieces. And then these guys show up and <laughs> automatically you're like, what's going on, boys? How you doing here? What the fuck? Hey? <laughs> You've been long enough, like <laughs> uh, the accent just turned on the Lanark County accent. Your your Lanark County Perth accent just came out, and Graham and I just looked at each other like, what the? "That's when we had like seventeen people. There's like kids, and we had the three different cottages, but they're all so small. And we all tried to get in there, but yeah. Anyways, but this movie plays on that kind of fear that like you don't know if it's there or not, and you want to know, but you're scared to go look at it. Anyway, so the point being, this is what I love about Roger. He's just like a dad. He's just marching around the house. Who's making that noise? Opens the door. Like he's not scared to open the door and just look into the dark corners. He just thinks it's like a weird old house and he just like dives into things, which is like how you got to be. Otherwise, you're going to get scared to shit. But Roger also makes some questionable decisions. He does, man. You know what? I f My wife always says like, Jamie, you decide you want to do things just on a whim and it's because you want to do it. You're not exactly thinking about the repercussions, right? Like, you know, we'll have like maybe two days out. We're super busy. And then I'm like, hey, guys, let's go for a hike, you know, because I think it's going to be a good thing for everybody. But I mean, like the kids are really tired and that's not really what we should be doing. Roger falls victim to that, like the, the, the fucking sort of man choices that he makes here. Right. He says we've all decided to sleep downstairs because we're too scared. Right. The girls are too scared. The family's too scared. We're all we're all sleeping together. The Warrens are there. They're already doing like some crazy investigations. And what does he decide to do? Hey, let's all go out for ice cream. Leave Leave mom alone who goes upstairs to sleep alone. That to me made absolutely no freaking sense because later on in the film, they like the house is like totally fucked up. They hightail it to a motel. This is after she's actually been possessed by Bashriba, who, which I always find it interesting that like the form of possession is always vomiting in the mouth. Mm. <laughs> like you think it's a ghost. Do you think there'd be a more efficient way that you didn't actually have to need like a physical like transfer of fluids? But anyways, it's pretty gross. To, oh, it's gr super gross, especially the way it's p filmed when it's like 
it's right parallel over the body and she wakes up from it. Imagine waking up from a nap and that happens. Like, oh, dude, that's, <laughs> you're fucking sleeping. Uh, yeah. That, that whole scene is like when outside, cause like, I guess what he's thinking is that. He's trying to give her that, a break. You go yeah, take a nap. He's trying well, to give her a break. I'll, I'll and like the, 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 in, the investigators are there. So everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Lorraine is out doing laundry taken right from Halloween, by the way, like the, um, the white, uh, linen sh- shot whereas out in the you know she's hanging up laundry white linens right from Michael Myers from Halloween but anyways and and he's like let's go for ice cream so in horror films one of the major tropes is like you always you never go alone never never be alone and in this film they actually they do a really good job even though I'm critical of Roger they do a really clever job of like isolating the characters because there's seven people in the home and then eventually you have over 10 in there when the investigators come. But they do a good job of getting people separated from the group, which mm-hmm. adds to the scariness. So that's the only thing I really wanted to say about Roger. And then I think sort of the last one that we should touch on really quickly is what do you think of the mom? This is Lily Taylor, Carolyn Perrin. The women are the best actors in this movie. I think like uh, Lily Taylor. It's Lily Taylor. Lily Taylor, sorry. Lily thought, Taylor, is yeah. It Taylor? I was like, I thought it was Taylor. <laughs> Lily yeah. Taylor. <laughs> yeah, Lily Taylor's been in a, a few horror movies, but she's, I thought she was really good in this because she's not, um, she's, uh, well, especially when she gets fully possessed. Like, wow, that scene is wild. But yes. uh, as like the setup to her, like she's very believable to me. She's just a tired mom. She's having, yeah. you know, she's starting to get worried. But she's not like annoying. She's not like a movie where she's just her only job is to raise the panic button. Because at the beginning, she's actually pretty blasé. She's like, I don't know. I got these bruises. I don't know why they keep happening. I must have bumped into something. (laughs) And like my wife gets that too. She's like never knows why she's got bruises on her knees. Because that's also like depends how high you are, like how tall you are. It's easy to bump yourself on things. Like short people will tell you this too. Um but yeah, like I don't know. I, I thought she was really good. Uh, the and the the possession scene. She just is so intense and visceral, and her body is just like looks like it's exploding from the inside. Her veins yeah. are like popping out of her face. Um, really thought she was great. I also found it interesting that when she apologizes to her daughter and she's saying, "Oh, I love you. I never, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry," or whatever she says, "I love you so much." The kid actually doesn't totally embrace her right away, which is very believable because the kid be like, "Yo, man, you tried to kill me. Yeah, you tried to kill me like <laughs> ten minutes ago." So I'm gonna be. A little reticent for now. You know, the five daughters, you got the youngest uh, befriends Rory, who is, who unfortunately was like the little boy that was killed by his mom and the mom that was possessed by Bathsheba. And then you got Nancy, who's targeted first with the old leg pull. And then she sees, I love that effect, eh? Like when, when the character on screen can see something that's like really not there, but they make you believe that you can see it. Like when she sees the figure behind the, the door, shadow behind the but door. I'm like looking, I'm straining and I can't see it. Yeah. You're like fucking I, with the contrast in your screen. See if you yeah, can see anything. Exactly. I'm like, fuck man, I wish I had a plasma. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's super effective. Like that's just great shooting and filmmaking. Like they just, they really, there's nothing there. There's nothing to look at, but they just trick you. And you just, you, I can't stop squirming looking at that, like that, that shape hoping to, not necessarily yeah, hoping, like but a, trying to get, like, what's happening? What am I looking at? Yeah. It's an awesome effect. I thought that was really smart. There's some yeah. really cool, I know we're talking about characters now, but like, since we're on this like way that shot, there's some really cool shots in this film. And what yeah. I, what I really liked about the way it was directed, or at least the cinematographer, whoever decided on this, they do a lot of cool shots where you're in one room, the camera's in one room, looking back at someone else who 
is being framed by the door, but then they're in the next room over. And so you have to go through the hallway door before you even see them in the next room. So there's kind of two frames before you get to the person you're actually looking at. And the effect is that it's closing down on them, right? And that's yeah. and that's what's happening. You're in a haunted house. You're in this house that's literally collapsing in on them, trying to trying to get them. So it creates this really claustrophobic effect, and this effect that the door that the that there's some sort of otherly worldly thing going on. Like they're in one world, and the camera is looking back at them from another one. Uh, just really cool moments like that that I thought really elevated the anxiety and the fear in the film. Everything in this movie is very still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not moving like outs. It's they look like paintings, right? And which I think adds a little bit of sort of antiquity to the to the whole stylized feel of the movie, mm-hmm. especially the shots in the exterior, right? You got Brad and you got paranormal student guy. Yeah, <laughs> was his name Ed? That was Ed. Who this paranormal student guy? Yeah, it's Ed, isn't it? Yeah, it's like he's got the budding romance with one of the daughters. It's not, it almost oh no, no, Ed off. is. I'm sorry, that's Ed Warren. It's uh, what's the kid's name? No, Brad's the cop. No, but who's the paranormal student guy? It's Drew. Oh, I don't know what his name is. I like he's he's trying to get Nancy, or he's trying to get the he's trying to get the kid, trying to find yeah, at the, the end of the movie. Yeah, I thought that the, was a pretty, I thought that was a pretty big role to give him in that in that moment because yeah. everyone else is busy and he's got to be the one to go find the kid. Somehow locates her in the floor. Yeah, he's like the fucking switchboard operator for the whole movie, and yeah. then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, you're right. He's thrust into a major space where he's got to find one of the kids. Right. And then um, the, I, I was going to ask you about Brad, because I know we're goofing off about him. He's just the dumb cop, but I thought it was kind of cool. I, I was thinking about this in my head. Like, well, why was Brad the one to see that one ghost? The, the I know woman why who committed suicide. Why, why do you think it was? Because he's the relatable character. He's the character that the guy watching the movie who doesn't believe in the shit okay. can relate to he's the outsider. And, and then, and then goes through the transformation. Like, and I'm not sure it's going to pull everybody in, but if you're like, nah, fuck it, this guy's the cop, this guy's like the probably the conservative, this guy's, and now he comes into it just like, and they even mention it, right? Like Brad, you don't believe, <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden he's like scared shitless. So it could show you that just people on the other end of the spectrum can be in this environment in this particular case, like pulled in because they kind of talk about he's Brad's like kind of like the guy that comes in as the yeah. as the police. I don't know. Maybe they need to have some kind of like a proper authority for jurisdiction. I think they did to, yeah. to establish the evidence to go to the Vatican. And actually yeah. the, the previous scene, Brad is the one who notes that the clock rolled over to 308. So he's like, I believe the clock. See, this is bullshit. So <laughs> I think you're right. Like that is what it, I think that's the function of that. Yeah. I was just a little surprised about like maybe the particular ghost that haunted Brad. But then I was thinking about that too. It's like, maybe that's important that it was a nurse, right? Or a maid or something. He was a maid. Um, I think Scary that was, scene, man. yeah, it was a creepy little moment. And, yeah. and, and the other thing I thought that was happening there was that Brad does the investigation, just like, uh, just like Roger does, just starts walking around the front porch. Like who's out there? What's going on? He just goes and looks immediately. But he left. He goes and he leaves the door open. I wondered if that was like some sort of thing of like, oh, did he let something in? You know that creepy thing you always see in horror movies that like you slip out one door, but as you come back, you realize the door wasn't locked, and so something probably came in. Yeah. But I mean, we're talking about ghosts, so I guess they can get it wherever they want. Yeah, but exactly. But why is that always <laughs> such a visual? Eh? Like everybody has fucking nobody's got screens. No. 
Nobody in a horror film has a screen on their window and like the windows are and it's always a windy like it's well, just the tropes are hilarious but you you see them repeatedly over and over again. So may, maybe why Jamie they wanted an easy swing door cuz when they bought the house they had a dog. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Rob, I'm going to come in with we're going to come in with the top red flags when moving into a new house and then I'm going to go sub draft here. <laughs> We're going to go. T- <laughs> so the first massive red flag is that the dog refuses to go inside. Then the dog you find is dead. Yeah. Now dogs traditionally, historically, sensitively, sorry, I'm in a word, have these extra senses where they can, they can sense danger, right? That's <clears throat> why you get like, that's why all these dogs are like, you know, drug smelling dogs and bomb sniffing dogs, right? Really. No, seriously, like the ghost sniffing dogs, which made me think, how come none of these investigators ever bring dogs? Mm. Yeah, it's true. They should have a sidekick dog. How come Lorraine and Warren and, and the Roto-Rooter guys from Ghost Hunters International, how come they <laughs> never have fucking dogs? Yeah. Anyways. So Rob, Ghostbusters, no dogs. Yeah, no dogs, man. Okay, so let's go. We're going to go top. We're going to go top three dogs dog alert moments in horror films or and or thriller films and or Disney movies. This is complex, but I'll <laughs> no, try to I was follow just, you here. It, I'll try to it, follow you. It just made me think of like, okay, so... One of the first scenes in The Conjuring is the dog refuses to go in. And it made me think, shit, man, dogs always has this extra sense. And then it made me think, as I just said, like, how come none of these motherfuckers have dogs with them? And then it made me think of, all right, what are all the animals in horror films or kind of like spooky films that offer an alert and are like integral to the role or just get smoked? So Halloween, Lester. Lester's the one that's the German shepherd that's out that's barking at Michael Myers. He's the, 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 um, Annie is babysitting, um, babysitting the girl and Lester's her dog and he, he gets axed. Second one, 101 Dalmatians, Pongo. <laughs> is that a horror movie? I guess it kind of is. <laughs> it kind of is a horror it. movie. It's a children's horror film. Okay. The third one. Wait, what happens to Pongo? But Pongo actually ends up being okay, but Pongo like alerts them to Cradella and like Cradella oh, okay. and how bad she is. Um, okay, third one, Littlest Hobo. Oh, that's a Canadian. That's a Canadian film. Okay. Anybody or not no, Canadian TV, TV show. show? Anybody out there that doesn't know Littlest Hobo, check it out. Just, just okay. uh, YouTube the uh, opening credit scene. It's like the best song you've ever heard in your life. Yeah, it's on the road again, right? No, it's a unique song for Little Hobo. Oh, that's right. Okay, okay, fourth. Uh, in the Lost Boys, Nanook, it's like the husky, right? Protects Sam as Sam's, I think it's brother that's turning. So, and that dog is really important. Mm. Number five, I am legend, Samantha. This is Will Smith's sidekick. Eventually sacrifices uh, herself to save the, to save uh, Will Smith's character. Super brave dog. Amazing. Number six, Beast, Hill, Hill, the original Hills Have Eyes. Um, if you haven't seen that film, watch this, this dog is super important to the movie, uh, beast amazing. And then number seven, a movie that I, we hope to review soon Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason takes Manhattan, Rennie's border collie friend, oh, I love border collies. Toby, Toby is with her. Rennie's like, had like, I can't remember what it is. Tough time. Uh, but, uh, but Toby is right there. So interestingly enough, 
I would say like more than half of those dogs on the list are German Shepherds, Rob. Huh. You ever seen that? It's a Canadian film called uh, The Dog Who Stopped the War. No, I haven't seen it. It's about all these kids who go to war with each other and they build these massive snow forts in the in their school, in their schoolyard. And they like attack each other all the time. And they're like two level snow forts, like they're, they're castles. And eventually the dog dies because he gets crushed by it when it falls down. And that's what stops the war. No. It's fucking sad. <laughs> I think it's a Quebec movie. I'm not sure, but it's from the 80s. Well, do you want to fight this war or not? And now it's time to play. And now it's time to go. I'm yeah. nah. That's, that's interesting, James. Uh, thank you for that dog trivia. Okay, so then... You know what? So some other red flags. So um, I'm going to come in with poor lawn care. I was just looking at that note. Like you wrote that down for sure. That was not mine. Poor poor lawn care is always always a red flag that the house might be haunted. Poor lawn care. Um, We talked about walls that are falling apart, right? And then you always have to question a bank auction. (laughs) It's true. It's, you know what, when I moved into my house, there was like some old furniture. There was an old, uh, old table that I kept downstairs and it's like nice piece of furniture and an old, um, uh, like bar cart, an old uh, liquor cabinet, which is like, you know, it's got like some ornamental finishings, flourishings on like the size, but like what, one of the major, one of the major fucking red flags is. If there's a dresser that looks like it's from the fucking 16th century, (laughs) (laughs) fucking Middle Ages, like that thing in a house that's old, that thing stands out as old. Yeah. And it's right in the girl's room. It's like completely creepy. I love having those pieces of furniture that that mean so much more than just what they are, like TV and poltergeist, right? As a conduit. And then also this made me think of the like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. But yeah, but also think about this, Jamie. Later on in the movie, we realize that if you remove the back panel, there's yeah. a hole into the wall, yeah, into a tunnel system in the house. So when they got this house, they were like, you know what, that wardrobe, I like it right where it is. <laughs> nope, nobody fucking touched that thing. It's staying right there. I like it. <laughs> they didn't like they, were, they didn't like reorganize the room and be like, well, where do you think it goes? They like, weren't no. even in there very long. They didn't even have time to, well, to they had change the, it. They had like, beds and tables set up and shit. They had bedside tables and everything. They had the whole it room. makes me think these people were like, I think the these these um you know uh, these spirits are not like equal opportunists. I think they take advantage of people that can be taken <laughs> advantage of. And the parents like seem to me a family that is a little bit kind of down and out. You know, mm. like they're they kind of just like. <laughs> They roll into the this farmhouse on fumes and there's like <laughs> all this crazy shit happening. And then he hightails it to Florida for a week. And you're right. Like they don't move anything there. You know, it, it's, it's actually a quite a, a big house, but so those are kind of like the big, you know, and also like the bad smells all. The, so there's, and then there's all the, all the tropes that you get, like the, you know, the haps, the, the it's in an absolute state of shit, creaking doors, bad smells. Um, Rob, I just want to finish off with one thing, right? So instead of doing like the top five scares, because we've kind of talked about a lot of like the the, the creepy moments of this, right? Um, let's just do a quick little, you pick one, I'll pick one. What is your scariest moment in this film? And just do like a quick little 60 second scene breakdown. 
Oh, shit. I had a jump scare where I literally almost woke my wife up because I was watching it in bed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember which scene it was. Um, I, I listed a few here that really kind of like bugged me. Let me let me go first, okay? Yeah. Okay, so my parents babysit the kids sometimes, and I know like how how slow moving they can be to react, although my mom's amazing, but it left to my dad. It looks like judy would have been toast in that room like <laughs> nana nana I know exactly what you're talking about. Dude, this weekend. Oh, fuck. He would have had his, like, he's, he's got his wireless headphones on. He's watching, he's watching the third round of, like, the, you know, whatever live golf tournament is on, right? And, like, Nana's, she's just slowly rolling out of bed. Thankfully, <laughs> she should have had the, uh, what is that, like, lift device that goes downstairs? <laughs> like in Gremlins. <laughs> just- Anyways, to me, I thought that was like such a great buildup. So like a quick little scene breakdown. So Lorraine is downstairs and she has like a freak out moment where she's like locked in there and she's investigating and the locket that she shares with her daughter, it, it basically gets lot latched on like a, um, on a piece of wood and then it's down in, in the cellar. That's where Bathsheba kind of does her work. So she's able to kind of use that as a conduit to get into the Warren's home. And then she targets the daughter, Judy and she's trying to kill her and she possesses Annabelle or she's actually in the house and um, Judy is like sort of uh, compelled to go down into a side room like a TV room and then she gets locked in the room and then Bathsheba is in there with her back towards Judy and she's in a rocking chair rocking back and forth and Annabelle is in like she's stroking Annabelle's hair and then Annabelle like turns around. Oh, fuck. It was the whole scene and just like the lighting and the creepiness of it all. And she's like, so the door locks. She's going, Nana, Nana, Nana's like, dude, this house is not very small, man. It's a bungalow. I, I live in a bungalow. Okay. I, you can hear everything. Nana's very slow. In fact, Nana doesn't even get there in time. <laughs> L- Lorraine feels something and they like hightail it back from the farmhouse or they're coming home. And then she, they break in just the last, uh, just at the last minute, they pull Judy out. And then the, the rocking chair f- fucking flashes across the room, smashes yeah. across the thing. And I'm like, man, that was intense because it had cr- total tension, total creepiness. Just, I felt for that kid, like a kid yeah. would have been terrified yeah. Terrified. And it expands the power of the of the of the yes. ghost too, because now she's actually able to channel locations and jump to different spots. Yeah, and, like they gotta deal with her. Yeah. Uh I got mine because speaking of not hearing shit, that scene where the paintings frames break and fall down the stairs and only mom hears it and none of the kids wake up. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? And nobody heard that? And then the door is banging. And then mom then mom goes down to the basement and gets locked in. So she then she falls down the stairs. Yeah. And like all this is happening, the kids are just like fucking totally sleeping, just like having a great night's sleep. And then she gets there's that spook moment in that, and there's that really spooky moment down there where there's like a flash of who's down there with her. That is the scene where I jumped. Um, 
that that scene just really shocked me as yeah. well as I think Roger comes home and has to get her out too. It's another yeah. one of those scenes where she can't get herself out the door. So they use that trick a couple times in this film and it's uh, it's very effective. That idea that you're stuck in the room. You're with, stuck in the room, yeah. With the bad thing and you can't get out. Honorable mention to when, when Lorraine or when Carolyn's sleeping upstairs and Lorraine is out there doing the laundry and the wind comes up yeah. and then the sheet goes around the figure yeah. and then it flies up to the bedroom. I was like, oh, I... I like freaked out. I love that for a couple of reasons. One is like spookiness. It's scary that the, that the sheet caught the ghost and you see the shape of it, but then how it blows and your eye follows it so that when you hit the window, it goes past and out of frame. Now there's someone in the window. Yeah. That's just very clever and, and uh, using your eye trace to actually bring you to the next thing they want you to look at. Really cool. I'm going to make a run for it. Jamie, it's about that time we wrap up this review of the film The Conjuring. But the first thing we have to do before we get into our review is the Running Scared Award. Jamie, who do you think got the most exercise? Making Honestly. Which character, which which person, who got the most exercise while making The Conjuring? Okay, no, normally I come in with this with like the comedy approach. The let's pick, you know, let's pick like the crazy character. Let's pick someone who's totally on the periphery. This one is far more serious because I pre- probably did get the most exercise running away. The running scared award, unfortunately, is going to go with Rory, who. Oh, that's dark. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a kid got killed. That's the one. That's the one you're picking. He, listen, man. Listen, I just if I'm talking about straight up steps, this guy is the one that's <laughs> step count. This is Rory's step count. Yeah, it's season. you know what? I know it's dark. I have kids myself, but. Honestly, I know he, he, I feel like he's vindicated a little bit at the end of the film, um, perhaps, but he, uh, unfortunately, he, he got his work in. Oh, wow. Rob, what about you? <laughs> so dark. Oh, man. Um, okay. So I'm going to go with Lily Taylor, uh, who yeah. plays Carolyn Perrin, who's, who's possessed by uh, Bathsheba. For some reason, I keep wanting to say Bethesda, like she's from Washington or something, but... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Carolyn Perrin, uh, who just that whole scene at the end with the exorcism really is wild. And physically she's crawling through the dirt. She's trying to break through the walls. And like, I just thought as an actor, that was such a crazy scene for her to go through and the physical, like battling with like uh, all the men as well, just throwing them left to right. Uh, I thought it was pretty wild. It's a good one. All right. Is this better or worse than Anaconda? This movie's absolutely better than Anaconda. As much as I hate to admit, any film is better than Anaconda. No, I'm kidding. This movie, yeah, heads heads and tails above Anaconda for sure. Yeah, this this movie is better than Anaconda. Um, I think we need to review this, Rob. And for me, I'm just going to go first. Normally, I, like there was one one movie one episode that I was cutting, and your review came in at, at a blistering four minutes and seventeen seconds. It's like, My review that, did. Yeah, that's a long review. I'm going to make this review. This is already a long pot, I think. Uh, I'm going to make this review, you know, just um, a lot more truncated. Even if you don't believe in the ability of paranormal investigators, they offer a third party and they offer credibility to just the intensity of the haunting of this house and of this family. The backstory is robust 
when it comes to the witch and uh, her having a farm and inhabited uh, the area, which it's not just in the in this farmhouse, but other people had been murdered and killed in the area and the disturbances had reached back for what seemingly is generations. The movie itself is scary. That's it. The movie is fucking scary. I watched it and I've watched it again and I've watched it again. And it's, it's, you know, there's unease, there's tension, there's great buildup. The performances are really good. There's like some straight up unsettling moments of some scenes. Fucking when you see Bathsheba and jumping off a uh, dresser or just and when she possesses him, the cellar is creepy. Uh, you know what? If to me, it's like if it were the 1970s and there was a an investigation going on in in a house. To me, it seems realistic. It's the house is like the perfect shitty house for this to happen. The five daughters, the location. We talked about some of the filming. I think this is a great film. It's spurred, made a ton of money, and it's spurred a huge franchise, uh, which I haven't seen them all seen most of them but i haven't seen them all so i have to go and check those out but the conjuring is like a modern classic i'm gonna actually go out and say that it's 10 years old so really i guess 2013 2023 so i guess we're doing like kind of like the 10 year anniversary of that conjuring i'm gonna give this um uh four footsteps and a toe so like four and a half out of five it's a great film wow yeah uh, I'll go up there with you, man. I think it's really worth it. It is a, we saw in theaters for a reason, I think. And, uh, it was, it didn't disappoint. That's huge. You know, you didn't, a lot of horror movies, you kind of like have some chuckles and you can easily walk out and say, yeah, that was fun. It was a popcorn movie. This was not a popcorn movie. This was a film worth seeing. And like, it's artfully done. It's well acted. Um, it's very, like we talked about very efficient in the scripting. It doesn't spend time on some of the shit that a lot of horror movies will make you spend time with like uh the cliches that we mentioned that they avoided in that sense it is a little fast paced uh maybe it moves a little quicker than um it moves a little quicker in the logic sometimes because it's just getting you to where you need to be so you have to sometimes just like forgive that it's not going to spend time with the doubters or the people who don't believe in this kind of stuff they get like two lines represented by brad but otherwise the movie's just kind of keeping you in the pocket that you're in and you know, speaking of that budget being so small, they really are only in two or three locations in this whole movie. And it's very like efficiently well done. It's just a, it's a tight movie. And I think what you get out of that is um, they get to spend more time making it really work. Uh, So I'm going to join up there with four and a half. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's definitely worth seeing if you haven't. It's uh, I think it is like Jamie said, one of the better ones in the last 20 years that we've seen. Uh, I don't know what else to say other than like, yeah, I was legit scared. And that is something we haven't said much on the Running Scared podcast. And it was uncomfortable to watch, which was fun. Um, If you're into that kind of thing, which if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you are. All right, Rob, let's uh, let's wrap this up here. But just really quickly before we get out of here, remember our Jogcast, the most recent one. It's already like doing really good. A lot of people are listening to it. Time to burn check it out um any uh audiobook retailer or you can come support us on patreon just look for running scared you can add us on twitter find us on instagram or send us an email the running scared podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear what you have to say we're fully into uh season two we look forward to i think what's going to be a great summer of horror films of maybe some more jogcasts and just getting more content out to everyone and don't forget we have the cool down which uh you know after we have this conjuring release next tuesday or 
I guess when you when you get this, uh, we'll have a cool down soon to follow. Rob, it's been great talking with you, and we'll do it again when we see you next time on Running Scared. The Running Scared podcast is written and produced by Robert Lendrum and Jamie Roberts. This episode edited by Jamie Roberts, with original music by Jamie as well. And you can hear us next time for another movie review on Running Scared. 